Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Nothing has taught me more about myself or my faith or my God than motherhood. So today I'd like to share with you three things that motherhood has taught me about Jesus. There are more, so many more. Um, But for today, we'll stick with three. Now, don't worry if you're not a parent. This is not a sermon on parenting tips. I don't have any. My four-year-old arrived here today in a dress without underwear on. And Christy had to put underwear on her. So don't ask me. Um, This is my little family, just so you'll have some context of who I'm talking about here. This is my husband, Joshua. We just celebrated our ninth anniversary. He works at the hospital in orthopedics. Um, This is Pippa. This was on her first day of kindergarten, but she's about to finish kindergarten now. She uh, was born on Thanksgiving Day. She's a very smart, thoughtful, responsible little girl. This is Phoebe. She's the one who came without any undies on today. She's our free spirit, always funny and clever and challenging. That's my little crew. And we actually have two puppies also who are not pictured, but they're very cute as well. Now, let me just preface by saying that these things that being a mom has taught me could probably be said of dads too, or of parents in general, but dads, you'll get your day in like a month. So today we're talking about moms. Um, And another thing I should perhaps mention by way of preface is that you probably, hopefully, already know some or all of these things. They won't be new revelations to you, but I take longer to learn things than most people. And I'm often on an adventure and missing on an adventure and missing the point. So Jesus has to really hammer things home before I get them. And hopefully um, you'll be able to see them and see him in a new way today. We're gonna be jumping around a little bit in the Bible today, which is not something I generally recommend, like proof texting like that. But in this case it just works because we're talking about who God is. And one of the main ways we learn who God is is through the Bible, right? So remember the verses we're talking about, write them down, go home, read them in context, and see if I'm telling you the truth. I mean, I am. But you don't have to take my word for it, right? You can go home and check for yourself. It happens to me all the time. Now, I don't know if this is just my experience or if it's all moms who love and follow Jesus. So you guys tell me. But it happens to me almost daily that I'll be interacting with my girls and one of us will say or do something that makes me think, oh, that is just how God X, Y, Z. Or, oh, Lord, this must be how you feel when dot, dot, dot. Have you guys experienced this? Just me? I'm in the right job then, I guess. But um, anyway, the first thing that motherhood has taught me about Jesus is that he sees me and delights in me. He sees me and delights in me. Psalm 139, one through six, David writes, O Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. 
You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He sees you in such intimate detail that it might make you uncomfortable to think about it for too long. You know how teenagers act when their parents start talking about having changed their diapers as babies? That's how intimately you are known and seen by your heavenly father, except it's not yucky. You may have seen recently the meme on social media. It's like this mom in her pristine white kitchen. I don't know how she's pulling that off, but she's in this beautiful white kitchen, wearing a white sweater, drinking some tasty thing out of her white coffee mug, and she goes, as a mom, my two favorite things are being with my children, long pause to take a sip, and not being with my children. Man, truer words never were spoken. I love seeing their cute little faces when they come home from school or come down the stairs in the morning. I love hearing the funny things they say. But when they go to bed at night, it's like, yeah, finally. Jesus only feels the first one. His favorite thing is being with you. He doesn't need a break. He doesn't get overstimulated. His patience has no limits. He can't get touched out like so many of us moms of little kids do. Your small and incompetent efforts delight him. In Psalm 149, verse 4, the psalmist writes, For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. It's a theme you'll see repeated throughout the Psalms. The Lord delighting in his people. I have here some visual aids. I got these from my girls for Mother's Day last year and two years ago, respectively. They made them at their preschool, and I love them. I keep them on the windowsill in the kitchen above the sink so that I can look at them all the time. I'm not really a very sentimental person when it comes to things. Like, I like to throw things away. I think I have the opposite of hoarding. Like, throwing things away makes me feel in control in a world where I know I'm not. But... This, these are among just a handful of things from people I love that I really cherish. They have my beautiful baby's faces on them, and they painted them for me. And I remember when they handed them to me with such joy and pride, and I just love them. My children's efforts are priceless to me. I delight in them. And son and daughter of God, I hope you know that he feels the same way about you. This picture is my mom, and this is me. I was two or three when this picture was taken. Um, I was an only child and a miracle baby. So, you know. Um, I was always into choir and music and singing. And from as early as I can remember, my biggest dream was to be in my high school's chamber choir. From the first time I ever heard them, I was like six or seven, and I knew what high school I would feed into, you know. And the chamber choir, like, there was like the bigger choir of older kids. It was like 100 people made up of juniors and seniors. And then the smaller choir from that made up of that group that was only like 16 or 20 people. And from the time I was six or seven, my biggest dream was to be in the chamber choir. 
And finally, I was going to get my chance. I had practiced, and I had prepared, and I was ready, and I thought I did great. And we heard that the returning members of the group were going to, like, wake the new members up in the middle of the night and, like, take them out to breakfast in their pajamas as kind of a, like, friendly hazing ritual, right? So uh, knowing this, I had, like, put on my cutest pajamas and, like, combed my hair, and I laid in bed all night waiting for them to come, and no one came. My mom knew about all this, of course, but neither of us said anything that morning. I ate my breakfast, and I went to school. Not a word about it. Just extremely downtrodden, heartbroken, really. I hadn't made the cut. And I will never forget coming home from school that day and seeing my mom waiting for me at the door with anticipation. She had thought that they probably just decided not to do the middle of the night thing because I was the most amazing singer and human being in existence and how could they not want me? And when I had to tell her that no, I didn't make it, I just, all the tears from the whole, that I'd been holding in all day just came pouring out and I just collapsed into her arms crying and she cried too. And she had wanted this for me as much as I wanted it for myself, you know? She had never pushed me into the arts. But when she saw how I loved it, she did everything she could to support me. My parents paid for endless voice lessons, drove me to so many rehearsals. The amount of hours my mom must have logged in our high school's auditorium, like it had to have been in the thousands. My dream was hers, you know? She made it hers. And so much more, my pain was hers. It seems a little bit silly now, but for 17-year-old Amy, that heartache was very real. My mom saw that and would have done anything to take it away. In fact, I can't say she ever fully forgave my choir director for that. I will never forget seeing how my mom hurt with me. Jesus hurts with us. Our pain is his pain. He won't always take it away like my mom would have, but he will sit with us in it and share it with us. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Today and every day, Jesus sees you the way I see my babies and the way my mom saw me, but with even more love and care. Isaiah 66, 13, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. Jesus sees you and delights in you. The second thing being a mom has taught me about Jesus is that he's painting a bigger picture. My children's very temporary desires are not a huge concern to me when compared to their long-term well-being. My perspective is different. It's greater. It's better than theirs because I know so much more. You probably see where I'm going with this. My youngest Phoebe went through a long and drawn-out phase of eating things that aren't food. For a long while, the most common phrase heard at our house was, Phoebe, don't eat it. I could often be found at urgent care because Phoebe had swallowed a rock or some hand sanitizer or a staple, all real examples. Uh, we, I have no idea why she did this, but she took great delight in it. And she, uh, my husband and I would try to explain to her why she can't do this, why we're always taking things away she could get in her mouth. 
but she would just get mad and sad and cry. And I mean, we didn't like it, but making her upset wasn't that big of a deal because keeping her safe and healthy was far more important than her feelings. I knew they were fleeting and they would bounce back and I could make her happy by letting her do what she wanted, but I wasn't doing her any good. It's the ultimate good of my children that I'm interested in, not their temporary happiness. Just giving someone what they want isn't love. My girls feel like it is, but it's not. <laughs> they don't always know what love feels like right now. They can't recognize it. I could be God talking about myself. Man, Amy just can't recognize that I don't give her what she wants because I love her. That's why I couldn't put her in the chamber choir. The way this plays out in our house most often these days is with screen time. My girls want it. I want to give it to them. It certainly makes my life easier, but I can't always because studies keep telling us that too much screen time is so bad for you. Now, please don't hear any judgment in this at all. Please don't go home and think, well, Amy said screen time is bad, so I guess I got to entertain you guys all day, even on Mother's Day. No. My husband and I have definitely been known to hand our girls their tablets so we can have a minute to finish our dinner in peace. This is a safe space. I'm just talking about limits, okay? Um, but again, just giving someone what they want isn't love. Not when you know better. And Jesus does. He knows way better. But how often do I pray and I just want him to give me what I want? Just do it. I know best. Just do it. But he won't because he loves me too much to give me what I want instead when he could give me something better. Something he knows is so much better for me in the long run because he can see the big picture, the whole story. He's working from a different perspective, right? Back to Psalm 139, 17 and 18, David writes, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you're still with me. He knows better, and he wants better for us. We're all too ready to trade what's best for us for what's right in front of us. We know that whatever it is we have to wait for might be way better, but you know, this thing is here now. It's sort of like a little story I've come to call the saga of the watches. So... We're trying to teach our girls about money, so they get this allowance for doing little chores, and they save and tithe, and it's cute, but Pippa, from the very beginning, has wanted to buy Spotify Premium with her allowance, because we listen to Spotify playlists in the car, and the commercials annoy her, but she needs to save up like $15 to buy a year of Spotify Premium, and every time she gets close, she sees something else that she doesn't want quite as much, but she could have that thing now, and hey, no judgment, because I do it too. But the, this most recent time, we were at Walmart, and the girls saw these little, like, fake watches. They had these little tubs of, like, lip balm in them, and you could trade out the different lip balms, and they were pretty cool. So they decided they wanted them, but I reminded her, you know, Pippa, you're pretty close to being able to buy Spotify Premium. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Yes, Mommy, I'm sure. Okay. Well, they were broken before we got home. And um, I was able to kind of fix it, but the next, she wore it to school the next day, and the teacher had to make her put it in her backpack because everybody in the class wanted some lip balm, and it was becoming a distraction, not to mention that's disgusting, and like the beginning of a movie called 
COVID 2023, like a class full of kindergartners all sharing a lip balm. Mm. <laughs> Trading what's best for what's right in front of us. Jesus wants better for us than we want for ourselves, and he's willing to fight for it even if we're not. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Okay, so for my girls, it's screen time and watches, but where in my life is God saying no to me out of love? Where am I all too willing to trade in what's best for what's right in front of me? Tim Keller says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. I love Tim Keller so much. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Jesus is painting a bigger picture. As I move on to my third point, um, let me just point out that up to this point in every illustration, I'm Jesus. Like, I'm the Jesus figure. Like, I see and delight in my children. I'm the one with the perspective I'm just trying to selflessly love and care for them despite themselves. But it's not true. Like, I'm the worst. The prayer I most often pray for them is this exact one. Jesus, protect my children from my mistakes. Let them grow up to be better Christians than I am and let me live to see it. The last thing being a mom has taught me about Jesus is that he's nothing like me. He's making me more like him. Slowly, slowly, he's making me more like him, but he's nothing like me. He's nothing like you either. Where I am impatient and demanding, he is long-suffering and forbearing. Where I, am, where I struggle to forgive the perceived wrongs perpetrated against me, he is quick to do so and delights in it. Where I am selfish and self-seeking, he put everything aside for our good. He is love personified, and I'm a poor reflection of him, even at my best. Here's an example. Children often repeat what they hear, right? Uh, so we were driving to church just a couple weeks ago, Phoebe and me, and she's in the back seat in her car seat, and she goes, the light is green, dummy, learn how to drive. <laughs> Do you need more than one guess where she heard talk like that? When I was testing my mic today, the guys needed to hear more S's, so I was trying to think of a story that had a lot of S's, and I was reminded of the time all four of us were on a walk together, and I was holding Phoebe's hand. I hate snakes. Let me just preface. I hate them. And we saw this tiny baby snake, just a, a garter snake, and it was a baby, um, in between our feet on the ground, and I dropped Phoebe's hand and ran. It could have been a poisonous viper for all I knew or cared. I just left her there and ran. She's lucky it was a harmless baby garden snake because I didn't know or care. I just, oops. Like it didn't occur to me till like 30 seconds later that I just left my baby back there with a snake. I'm the worst. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Praise God they are, right? You remember the watch story from earlier. So they wanted to open them in the car. And I said, fine, but don't break them. 
We live seven minutes from Walmart. Please be careful. Don't break them in the car. They broke them in the car. And I got mad and used the phrase, why are you acting like idiots? And we got home and everyone was mad and I sent them to their rooms and I fixed the watches as best I could. And I called Pippa downstairs to show her how I had fixed it and to say I was sorry. But before I could even do that, she started crying and she said, you're right, mommy. I am an idiot. Well, I did my best to fix it. And if I have one parenting tip, it's that there's so much value in a genuine apology and just letting our kids know that we're fallen sinners just like them. I said, no, Pippa, you're not. I'm so sorry. I do not think that. I should not have said it. Please forgive me. She did. But you guys, I made my sweet, smart, beautiful little girl think that she's an idiot. I did that. There's no one to blame but me. I really wish there was. And I did it over a $4 watch. So I put it to you. Who's the idiot? Jesus would never do that to you. He would never think that about you. If you've ever been made to think that he thinks badly about you, it's a lie from the pit. When he made you, he called you very good. Now, hear me, he doesn't condone your sin. He said, go now and sin no more. But before he said that, he said, neither do I condemn you. He made you and he calls you very good. Jesus is nothing like me. As I get ready to conclude today, I'd like to speak for a moment to just the women in the congregation. So guys, check your phones. I don't know, but I need like three minutes and then I want you to tune back into me, okay? Now, you'll notice I said women, not moms. Um, I hope you know that in the words of the late, great Rachel Held Evans, as a Christian, my highest calling is not motherhood. My highest calling is to follow Christ. The Bible does not present us with a single model for womanhood. And the notion that it contains a sort of one-size-fits-all formula for how to be a woman of faith is a myth. Motherhood is a high calling, but it's not the highest. Marriage is a high calling, but it's not the highest. Ministry is a high calling, but it's not the highest. Christ is the highest calling of my life. So high that from its height, I should be able to see no other. And so, not to moms or wives or any profession represented here, but to the women of Life Church, I say to you, we are powerful. God has given us power to use in his name. $31.8 trillion in spending worldwide is controlled by women. Women control 85% of consumer spending and 60% of all personal wealth in the U.S. We make 90% of all household health care decisions. Since 1982, women have earned four and a half million more bachelor's degrees than men. That's worldwide. Women in missions outnumber men two to one. Or in the words of Beyonce, who run the world? Girls. Women have always been at the center of the gospel. 
Do you know who were the first people to know about the resurrection? It wasn't the disciples that they were hiding. It wasn't the guards. They were confused and didn't know what was going on. It was the women. The gospel accounts vary slightly. They all have Mary Magdalene at the tomb that morning, and someplace other women there as well, like Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, who was Zebedee's wife. But the point is this, and it's the gospel writers who were hiding in that upper room who wrote it down to tell us this. It was the women. It was some girls who probably, despite their fear and sorrow, were still getting done what needed to be done. They were on their way to attend to the body because somebody had to do it and it fell to the moms as usual, right? Luke 24, Matthew 28, and John 20 all tell it more or less the same way Mark does here in chapter 16, beginning in verse 2. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled to the side. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Will you stand with me? Gentlemen, join back with us, will you? (laughs) The spreading of the greatest news ever shared began that morning because a few women, unimportant women from an unimportant place, were faithfully going about what some might consider their unimportant business but the world has never been the same. Jesus met them right where they were that morning and he's been doing it ever since. He will meet you where you are today, even if it's for the first time. He will do it. Mother's Day is a great day to give your life to Jesus. He will see you and delight in you better than any mother ever could. And because he's painting a bigger picture and because he's nothing like us, He can and will meet you right where you are today. We have people on the left and on the right who are ready to pray with you. If you made a decision for Jesus for the first time today, please don't leave without telling someone about it. Or if you need prayer today for any reason at all, we are here to pray with you. Will you pray with me? And then we'll continue in worship. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your mothering heart. And thank you for teaching me who you are through the babies that you've given me. Thank you for teaching us all who you are through the experiences of our life. Thank you for seeing us and delighting in us. Thank you for having a far better perspective than us. Thank you for being so much better than us. Jesus, thank you for meeting us right where we are. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.